You know, while you're turning to uh, Romans chapter 9, um, I did want to draw a couple of announcements to your attention that are a little out of the ordinary. One is that, uh, Kyle, you're going to be preaching at Trinity Bible Church, right? I didn't have the date. Do you have that? Uh, March 12th. March 12th. So that's coming up at the 4 o'clock service. So we want to, you know, they've asked us, the elders have asked uh, all of us, if, if you'd like to join them with a, with a time of fellowship over at Trinity, uh, you know, on that date, just come on over and uh, Kyle will be preaching. And if you never met the saints over there at Trinity, it would be a good opportunity for you to do that and to, to build some relationships between the two churches and, and the bond of Christian love. The second thing I wanted to mention is that... Uh, if you come over to my house uh, Tuesday at uh, 6.30, uh, you're going to see me instead of Mary. So if you're coming to a ladies' Bible study, you might want to go to Mary McGinnis's place instead. So there is a change of uh, venue, and it's in the bulletin. Her address is there, and I think, is there a meal too? No. no it says potluck. Oh, I was going to come. I was going <laughs> to... All right, I'll wait. But anyway, this is just FYI. Mark those in your, in your bulletin. And the rest you can read about. And if you didn't know what our schedule is here for preaching, I know Kyle and I sat down and looked at the calendar together. And, and Kyle's preaching the, uh, the first three or four, depending on the month of uh, the, how many Sundays there are, uh, from First uh, Thessalonians. And I'll be preaching the last Sunday of the month, which I guess is today. So that's why you have a different face up here today. And we're back in Romans and working, on, working our way through, through that great and glorious book of the gospel. Um, we're going to finish chapter 9 today. <clears throat> Start reading at verse 30. What shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith, but the, that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not re- succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying a stone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Father, we just ask you to unfold our hearts before you. And Lord, we ask you to enliven your word to accomplish your will. Give us understanding where we lack. We pray for unction in the preaching of your word. You would superintend over this time as you speak to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. You know, I can only think of one big contest that I really ever won in my life. Maybe two. Uh, but it was quite a few years ago. Mary and I were at home, and I received a phone call. And they said, hi, this is so-and-so from the, the tire store. You just won a big colored TV. And I said, well, really? I mean, that's exciting news, but, uh, you know, I never entered a contest. In fact, I don't want a colored TV. So... Why are you calling? And they said, well, all I know is we have your name. It was pulled out of the box, and somebody must have thought you needed a color TV. And they thought that uh, they would put your name in for you. 
And so they came out that afternoon, delivered the colored TV, and uh, found out later that uh, there were hundreds of people that really wanted a TV and didn't get one. Hundreds of people that put their name in the, in the box and their name wasn't drawn. And we didn't want one, and we received one, but we also didn't even put our name in the box, and we won one anyway. How can this be? Didn't make, didn't make a lot of sense. You know, how, how can you win a contest you didn't enter? How can you receive a prize you really didn't want to receive? And yet we're going to see that's a spiritual picture for us. Kind of an awkward illustration if it is, but uh, of really the message of what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 9 as he speaks of the Gentiles. A snapshot of the Gentiles that, uh, spiritually speaking, they, didn't want, they weren't looking for righteousness. Spiritually speaking, they weren't looking in any way to, uh, to, to pursue the triune God of the Bible. Uh, in fact, uh, they didn't even know who the triune God was. They had their own pagan gods. They had their own sin. All that was going on, and yet God elected them. And they came by faith. And the ones who were pursuing after righteousness did not come by faith. And so while the Jews who slavishly pursued God, trying to keep the law, wanting to be righteous, rejected the way to God, which was by faith alone. So how can these things be? You know, Paul has been arguing here throughout the whole ninth chapter of the book of Romans that, uh, that God is sovereign. God chooses whom he is going to save. He has mercy on whom he'll have mercy. He hardens those whom he wants to harden. And uh, we see, in fact, on, on a broader scale, it is many Jews that, 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 in fact, were not looking for righteousness. The sovereignty came to them. Faith came to them. And the ones who are pursuing after righteousness died without faith. You know, you might ask yourself, why is there such a, an emphasis on God's sovereign purposes? You know, have you ever been left to ask this question? If God is sovereign, is he? Yes, and he is. If he elects some to salvation, does he? The Bible says he does. Uh, what does that do for everybody? Does that reduce then people to kind of a mindless uh, kind of a, a mindless uh, puppetry, so to speak. In other words, they, they're just being, having strings pulled by God, and it's all done by God. There's no personal responsibility, and so it's all based on election and election alone, and it is. So this means if a sinner dies without grace, it is God who did, did it without any consideration for personal responsibility. I mean, how are we any different from marionettes with strings attached to us? After all, isn't this the one of the, the great objections that people raise all the time about those of, of us who believe in the doctrines of grace? What do you mean God elects some people? What do you mean he rejects other people? What does that do to our will, our ability to make our decisions and come to God? And if you believe such thoughts, you must be believe in mindless puppetry being orchestrated by the God in heaven. And then what a demeaning view of man. What a demented view of God. That he does it all, man does nothing. 
and he creates a bunch of spiritual puppets. In his closing verses of Romans chapter 9, this chapter on election, Paul comes back and he closes it with a reminder to us of our personal responsibility in the face of election. God is sovereign, but mankind has a responsibility. And that responsibility is to do what? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Trust in God. The Gentiles were granted that faith as a gift from God, even though not searching for it, even though not even seeking after God, even though they did not, weren't seeking after God's righteousness, they, by, by sovereignty they received it. And yet every one of them was personally responsible to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And so we're going to be talking about this tension between personal responsibility and God's sovereign election today. You know, the big idea, I guess, of these last few verses is really the tragedy of unbelief. The horrible sin of unbelief. In fact, it might well be the sin of sins is the sin of unbelief. You know, when we talk to people and we talk about salvation, you'll typically hear something like this, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, I look at some of the people in the church and, and these people that say they're Christians and they, they say they're saved and, and, and they seem like they're okay. But, but I, I'm as good as they are. So are they going to heaven and I'm going to hell? Where's the wickedness? You know, and, and, and where's the holiness? Well, I think the wickedness and the, and the lack of holiness can be seen not in what you do and don't do as much as where your heart is in the area of faith in Christ. Uh, In fact, it might be the ultimate defiance of God is not to believe in Him. The ultimate defiance of God is to, to reject Him and not put your trust and your hope in the One who made you and the One who sent His Son into this world to die for you and to pay for your sins. You might look to the Jews and wonder, why were they lost? I mean, they seemed like pretty good people. They were sincere. They tried to keep the law. They led an outwardly moral life the best they knew how. But their wickedness can be seen in their lack of faith when the Messiah came and they saw him face to face. They attacked him. They rejected him. The one who made them, the one who sacrificially died, Without faith, there is no forgiveness, no eternal life. You see here the unbelief of the nation of Israel. He he gave them all revelation. He gave them the gospel. He gave them the sacrificial system. He, He promised them the Messiah, and they remained in unbelief. So I want to break this passage down into a few sections. The first one is the summation. We see that in verse 30. This is a summation of all that he said up to this point in Romans chapter 9. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness? Even the righteousness which is of faith? I mean, why has God chosen so many Gentiles? And why is it so many Gentiles are coming to Jesus? And why is it that only a remnant of God's chosen people or being saved. 
And notice how he opens up verse 30. He says, what shall we say then? What shall we conclude in light of everything that I've already written about election? What's the main point? And by the way, I don't want to pass over this too quickly. This phrase of of Paul is, is very Pauline, isn't it? What shall we say then? Have you ever heard him say that before? I believe that if I open the New Testament up, and I, and I quoted you verses all the way through from um, Matthew to Revelation. And I, and I quoted verses that said, what shall I say then? What shall I say then? What shall I say then? And if I asked you, who's speaking? It is so Pauline, you should say, well, hey, that's Paul. That's what he says. It was very common of how he'd bring his, his arguments to a close. In fact, uh, it's seven times up, up till now in the book of Romans. What shall I say then? Romans 3, 5, 4, 1, 6, 1, 7, 7, 8, 31, 9, 14. All the way down to the seventh one we see today in verse 30. What shall we conclude based on everything that I have spoken about? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, I mean, these are all the non-Jews of the whole world, Uh, they weren't looking for righteousness and to have a right standing before the true God they were off doing their sin and their idolatry and they could care less and yet they're the ones that obtained what? righteousness they seized it it's really an athletic term they made it their own and how is it that they obtained what they were not even looking for? Here they were spiritually blind, not seeking after God. No one seeks after God. None are righteous. And yet they attained it, and the Jews did not. What, of course, ultimately is what God does. And here we see that uh, they attained what they were not even looking for. They, They received the prize that they were not even trying to attain. Isn't that how salvation is? We're going to see that in a minute. Now, that's important. File that away, because we're looking at some application that deals with the whole question of how it is that God gives to those who aren't even looking for it eternal life and forgiveness of sin. I mean, they obtained the greatest prize possible. They obtained God's righteousness. They obtained eternal right standing before God, forgiveness of their sins. The Gentiles received the new birth, everlasting life. And this was a race they never even wanted to enter into. And yet they won and received the crown of righteousness. And they were blinded by their sins. Uh, and they had the same concerns as the Jews, right standing before God of Israel. Right standing before God was not their passion. By the way, there are a few exceptions with the... Uh, the Gentiles. There were a few that were seeking after God in, in a spiritual sense, led by the Spirit. I mean, there were very few, though. You might go to the Magi, for example, who came and were searching out for Jesus because they believe in the coming Messiah and His birth and wanted to come and worship Him. But most, most Gentiles did not seek God or seek the righteousness of God. So what a surprise it must have been for the, for the Jews to find out 
So all these Gentiles that we don't even like, all these Gentiles that aren't even looking for God, all these Gentiles that are caught up in idolatry, they receive righteousness because of election and faith in Christ, and we don't? What's wrong here? And so the question is, how did they obtain that right standing before God without even pursuing that right standing? And he tells us, he goes on to say, even the righteousness, which is of what? Faith. They received it based on, by grace, through faith, their faith alone. In fact, there's only one way you can receive righteousness of God. And it's by putting your faith and trust in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a gift of God. Even our faith, of course, is a gift of God. But it's through faith. And Paul goes on to describe the righteousness, which was not a righteousness that was earned. It's not a self-righteousness of the Jews that he's talking about here. It was not their own righteousness that they were seeking after. But it was Christ's righteousness that was imputed to them through their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith that was given to them, a righteousness that was imputed, put to their account. And they had a right standing before God. And what is faith? And what is faith in Christ? If you have to be saved by faith, what does that mean? Well, it means to trust, doesn't it? You trust in God. You trust in what Christ has done. You're not, no longer trusting in yourself. You're putting your full confidence in what Christ has done on your behalf. And, and therefore, it's that trust through which Christ imputes His righteousness to you. It's simply trusting in God. In Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who what? Believes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Philippians 3 9, and be found in him, having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but the righteousness which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And so our faith doesn't make us righteous, but our faith and trusting in Christ brings His righteousness to us so that we're clothed in His righteousness and have right standing with Him. So the Gentiles found themselves with faith, a faith they weren't even looking for. They received a righteousness they weren't even pursuing after. And God was saving the least of all and all doing it all for the greatest glory to himself. So what about the Jews? Oh, that's the Gentiles. What about the Jews? Well, let's look at the rejection. Verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained the law of righteousness. Now think about that. Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, they were what? They were pursuing righteousness did not attain to the law of righteousness. They never attained to it. And so you see the contrast by the word but there, but the Jews, unlike the Gentiles, they followed after the law of righteousness. They wanted passionately to be right with God. They wanted to have right standing with God. 
and they were doing everything they could to make sure that happened. But the problem is what? There's not enough that you can ever do to anyway make yourself in a right relationship with God. They fell short. They were under the condemnation of the law. They were passionate about religion, passionate about God. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. They were religious, but they were lost, seeking a righteousness of their own. And they followed after, it says, what? The law of righteousness. Now, the question is, what is the meaning of this law of righteousness that they were actually following after? I've ran to a couple views of this. I know one was that of Calvin. Uh, he, he writes and says, regarding this rule of righteousness, this law of righteousness, it says they followed after it. That is, they diligently plied the rule that they thought would lead them to righteousness. In other words, it was a pathway that would eventually end up in righteousness. Where, for example, Morris in his commentary writes, no, he says, I think it's not the, it's more, it's not the principle that leads you into a pathway of righteousness, but it's really the rule of life where you earn, you actually earn your righteousness by keeping the law. Morris seemed to take it to mean that the law was given and they pursued trying to keep the law to earn every degree of righteousness in their life. And they were meriting it as they did that. Which is right. Well, they're actually, they're both true doctrinally. I believe the context might lead a little, lean a little bit more towards Calvin's view in this, in this particular passage. But really, it's as, as if Paul's saying something like this. The Jews, unlike the Gentiles, which had their own principle or their own way of obtaining righteousness, which was to, by keeping the law, uh, not only did they have their own way, uh, they zealously tried to keep it and keep it and keep it. And the more they tried to keep it, the more the law condemned them and the more they were guilty before God and ultimately be eternally lost. Here's where the Jews missed the boat. They were approaching God on the wrong assumption. They thought they, that by trying very hard to keep the law of God, they could reach a point in their life where they say, you know what? I made it. I'm righteous. God's pleased. more distant they felt, the more they tried harder, and the more they tried harder, the more they failed. See, the one big problem is, is uh, this isn't the way to God according to the Word of God. The way to God is not by works. It's not by keeping the law. The way to God is what? Through faith in what Christ has done on, on, on our behalf. God's law doesn't bring life. God's law condemns. God's law demands perfection. No one can be perfect. Uh, the wages of sin is death. Uh, think of a spiritual mirage. If you've been out in the desert and uh, or you, even on a hot day, you look down on a black blacktop uh, down the road, and you'll see that the water on, you know, the vapor water on the road or out in the desert in the sand. And it's, it's kind of like this, and boy. And then you see a little, some almost like steam coming up, and it's right there dangling before your eyes. And so if you were thirsty out in the desert, what would you do? You'd go after that water. You'd pursue it. You'd run. And it seems like the harder you ran, the more, the more distant the water was. 
and there was no matter of running that would ever get you to the water. In fact, there is no water. It's a mirage. And, and in some ways, that, that's how righteousness was for the Jews. It was like a mirage. That if I somehow keep the law of God, that was their, what they thought. If I could keep the law of God, if I could run hard enough, if I could do enough, I got closer to holiness and righteousness, I would be righteous. And the more they tried, the farther they were, and the more they were condemned. And so it is for anyone who's under the law of God. The more you hike, and you seem like you're not making any progress, you run faster, you jog, you sprint, and ultimately you die. Jews could see their goal. They could see the righteousness, but they thought it was by keeping the law. And uh, they thought they would get favor with God, and they were only getting condemnation. And the more they... The more they worked, they made no gain. And the more they were condemned and never obtained the righteousness of God. So as we've seen here, the law was, was not given as a way of, of earning righteousness, right standing with God. But we, we talked about this morning in our new members class, the purpose of the law was what? To point us to Christ. It's to reveal our sin was to show us our guilt and our condemnation. And there's only one who kept the law. And the one who kept the law is the Lord Jesus Christ. There was only one that was righteous. And we put our faith and trust in Him, in what He's done on behalf of His people, then His righteousness becomes our righteousness. As we've already seen, this, this was uh, not given as a way of righteousness. It was a given as a way to reveal sin. And then hopefully as you see your sin, you say, God, please do for me what I can't do for myself. Let let me trust what Christ has done. He's already done it. And through him, I receive his righteousness. So their whole approach to righteousness was wrong. It was upside down. They chose a way of doing it that was impossible. It pleased the flesh, but it actually condemned them for eternity. I mean, it might well be that, you know, it'd be like a person where Oh, you want righteousness with God? Here, here's one for you. Try this. Just jump to the nearest star. Alpha Centauri. 42,000 light years away. That's the nearest one. And when you make it, then you'll be righteous. And so you try it. You can leave here today and go out and snow there and start, start jumping. Start running. Start leaping. And, you know, I don't know, it might be this high. You might be that high. But you're going to jump until the day that you die because it's impossible. You won't even get past the atmosphere. It's impossible to in any way obtain righteousness through jumping at stars. Now, that's not in the Bible. I understand that. But anyway, that's, maybe it'll help us understand a little more of the impossibility of keeping the law of God. This is the reason why he set the standard of perfection before us. That you would sweat and try to make your way to God, find out you can't, and then one day you would just humbly cry out and say, God, I can't do it. I can't. But I see a Savior who has done it. And my heart now is in Him. And I'm bowing before him and asking for mercy. And in faith, I'm going to trust what he's done on my behalf that I might have his righteousness. That was the purpose of the law. Uh, 
Why did God give such an impossible standard? To be a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. He gave us the law so that we'd realize that we are not perfect. Christ kept the law. It's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness which becomes ours. He kept the law perfectly. He paid the price on the cross. So all that was purchased for us for our justification. You might cry out and say, God, save me. I can't save myself. The law says, perfectly obey and live. At least that's what it said in, in, in the first opening chapters of, of the book of Genesis. Keep my law and live. What they do? They broke it. <laughs> and everyone since then, there's no keeping of the law and living. It only condemns. We saw that early throughout Romans. And if the Jews were so zealous to seek after righteousness, why did they miss out? If they were that passionate about righteousness, why did they miss out? And we see the explanation in verse 32. Wherefore, question mark, because they sought it not by faith, but as it, as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. They sought it not by faith. They say they sought it by works. That was not the way. They tried everything, but by faith, trusting in Christ, their Messiah. And they rejected by simply pursuing by God's only way of faith. And if it's possible, they were too religious, too religious to trust in Christ alone. That's dangerous. You can be so religious that you end up not simply trusting in Christ. We'll talk about that in just a minute. In fact, the ultimate deceit to which you can contribute to absolute perf perfect standard of what Christ has done is one that blinds many from everlasting life. They stumbled at the stumbling stone. Isn't that interesting? Imagery. Uh, so here they are on a pathway trying to get their own righteousness by keeping the law. And there's a rock. And boom, they stumble over it. And actually, they stumbled to their own destruction. They stumbled at the stumbling stone. They is who? The Jews. Uh, God put they, stumbled at the stumbling stone, and the stumbling stone is who? Jesus Christ. So they stumbled over Jesus Christ. They didn't believe in him. They just stumbled over him which tells me he was right out in open view. They could see him. He was on the pathway, and they didn't, didn't bow to him and trust him. They stumbled over him. And he's called the rock. He's called the cornerstone. Here he's called the stumbling stone. 1 Corinthians one twenty three. but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, a stumbling block. Under the Greeks, foolishness. 3.11 says, for, our, for other foundation can no man lay than it was laid which is Christ Jesus. So the picture is, imagine this. The Jews, trying to get righteousness, working hard to please God. There's Jesus Christ right there in all of his glory. They just stumble over him. They don't bow to him. They stumble over him and refuse to believe in him. And how could they do that, stumble over Christ? Well, they didn't believe he was the Messiah. That's quite... They, they lacked faith that he was the true Messiah. They looked at that stumbling stone and they, they saw a lot of things. 
They saw a Savior that was actually nailed to a cross between two sinners? You would have put my faith in a, in a guy that's up on the cross being crucified? You know, this, 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 this imagery of, uh, of a stumbling stone is used five times. It's quoted in the New Testament. They stumbled over Christ. They stumbled over Christ. They stumbled over Christ. After a while, is this, would our Messiah hang out with a bunch of drunkards and a bunch of sinners? He's not the Messiah. And so they turned their back. They stumbled over him. You know, they looked at him. He, didn't, he was born on the wrong side of the track. He can't be the Messiah. Stumbled over him. Crucified on a cross. And because they did not seek the righteousness of God by faith, they sought it by their own works. And stumbling over the one who actually died for them or died for his people, they wouldn't come to him in faith. They toiled and toiled and toiled until they died and faced the eternal wrath of God. And that leads us to the question, a quotation actually, uh, in verse 33. It's interesting. Verse 30, verse, uh, 33 is... Uh, uh, a quote from Isaiah, actually two verses from Isaiah. Paul pulls from Isaiah, takes two verses there, and then he weaves them together into one, one statement. Takes the two, and he's, I'm not quoting them separately, but he brings them together to say verse 33. As it is written, Isaiah wrote, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. As it is written, quoting from Isaiah 28, verse 16. Isaiah 8, verse 14. Now I'm weaving these together. Behold, what I'm about to tell you is going to blow your mind. This is, this, is, this is important. Behold, I, who's I? God the Father. Uh, what do I do? I, uh, behold, I lay in Zion. Where's Zion? In Jerusalem. And I'm laying it there, I'm putting it there on the ground, a stumbling stone. We've already seen this, Jesus Christ, the rock of offense. In what way was he a stumbling block? Well, God's way to salvation was through Christ alone, and they didn't accept him. They didn't believe in him. So they tripped over him. He was visible, they all knew. But they tripped over him. And he did what they could never do. He kept the law. He paid the price. The wrath of the Father was put upon him for the sins of all of his people. But they would not believe. The, uh, he would not admit that anyone could save them because they were so busy saving themselves. They were falling short. So as long as the Jews were trusting in themselves and as long as the tr Jews were tr tripping over Jesus, the only righteousness they could have was their self-righteousness and uh, leading to their own destruction. You know, I found this song after I already turned them all in. We had this, the bulletin printed up. But if we would have sung uh, Top Lady's hymn, uh, Rock of Ages, it just fits right in here. 
I bet he, I, I, I'm guessing Top Lady took this passage and, and wrote this hymn. But I, I did scratch out one, one verse of it that sums it up. He says, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. There's no way I can work my way to God. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? I mean, if I did everything I could possibly do, including crying over my sins until the day that I die, all could never sin erase. Thou must save and save by grace. That's salvation. It's through faith in Christ. And of course, it goes on in the next, next lyric, talks about trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So hopefully you see the picture here. The Jews made it a race to righteousness that they pursued after. They wanted it more than anything else, and they missed it because they didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were doing it their way. But the Gentiles, not even looking for it, not even pursuing it, by the grace of God, received it. And right in the middle of the pathway of the Jews was a rock, and that rock was Jesus. Whoop, they stumbled. Whoop, they fell. They tripped over him, rather than trusting in him. Instead of embracing the rock and bowing before the rock, they said, I'm going to finish the race my way. So he stood in front of them. He was saying, that rock is saying to every Jew, every person without Christ, put your faith, your trust in me. I have done the work on your behalf. Just simply believe in my, my name and all that I've done and quit trusting in yourself and you'll be saved. Look, they tripped over that. They couldn't believe that. They wouldn't come. They wouldn't believe. And he became to them a rock of offense. Which is interesting. It's a, the, work, the word offense there is a, is a word that, is, you know, on a, on a mouse trap, you have that metal part where you put the cheese. The tripping part, uh, that, that's, the, that's the same word that's used here. The stick of a, tra- a stick on of a trap. So by rejecting Christ, they were trusting in their own works. And the rock triggered. The rock sprung unto eternal destruction. But, good news, it ends. Look how it ends. Whoever, whoever, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. And so the the call is to believe on the rock, believe on Christ, believe on his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension on behalf of his people. And you'll never be ashamed. You'll never be disappointed. You'll never be disgraced. You'll never be dishonored. So what I hope you see here in this passage is the sinfulness of unbelief. It's not like, oh, I just don't believe in Jesus. No big deal. No, that tells God everything he needs to know about your heart, how wicked it really is. That you wouldn't believe in his son who created the heavens and the earth. You wouldn't look to him as your, as your creator. And, and, and here, you, all that Christ has done in the saving of a people, you reject and spit in his face. You say no to him. And his blood was shed, and the price was paid, and the wrath of the Father was poured upon him, and yet you will not bow, you won't believe. That exposes a heart of wickedness. You know, it's not all the little things you do and don't do. It's really the heart of unbelief 
It'll show how wicked and how dark a heart is that leads to destruction. Now, we've seen that this great doctrine of election does not eliminate human responsibility. Uh, they, go, they go hand in hand. You can't say, well, the reason I went to hell is because God didn't choose me. No, you can say, the reason you went to hell is because you didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved. You have a personal responsibility to come to Christ. God, God holds you responsible to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, it's God who does what? Chooses whom he saves before the foundation of the world, and he's even the one that gives out the faith. How that fits together, I have absolutely no idea. I'll tell you right up front. It, it, it doesn't, you know, you try and wrestle with these things in tension, but God himself holds us responsible. Yet he's the one who chooses us before the foundation of the world. Mary and I was... We were driving between here and Powell one day just discussing this one. She said, well, what do you think on that? And I said, I don't know, what do you think? And we're talking back and forth. Well, I, I mean, how could we be responsible? Isn't God, so- yes, God's sovereign. Unconditional election. And so you just discuss this, and pretty soon your mind gets just wrapped up in mystery. But it's a great truth, and it's one that, we, that should cause us to worship our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the doctrine of election does not eliminate our human responsibility to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Leave them in tension. Don't try and resolve it one way or the other, but always bow on the side of God's sovereign election. Let's see if we can draw a couple of principles of application from this passage. Uh, I see in this ver- these, the, these see, 30, 31, 32, 33, four verses, strong encouragement for every Christian here today. Because Romans 9 reminds us that uh, the most unlikely event ever, the most unlikely event ever happened by the sovereign hand of God. Now, when I say the most unlikely event, the whole world, much of all the Gentiles coming to faith in Christ, you sitting here today being a part of that, that's, that's a wonderful miracle of God. Because of Romans 9, it reminds us the most unlikely event ever happened by the sovereign hand of God. Who would have ever thought that so many ungodly people like you and like me would ever come to be part of his elect? Who would have ever thought for a moment that uh, the Gentiles who had their pagan gods and all their sin would actually end up righteous having the righteousness of Christ, rather than the Jews. What hope would, have been, would there have been given uh, to every lawbreaker, Gentile of the, of, of the world, caught up in drunkenness? From man's perspective, their salvation seemed absolutely impossible. And yet, it, it was true by providence. And I say this because by application... Every one of us in this room, we know someone, or someone's plural, that are without Christ, that we have relegated to the category of impossible. They're too bad. They're too wicked. Look what they've done. Look how many times they rejected Christ. Oh, they once were in church, and now they're not. Or they did this, and they did that. 
I mean, I've even been reading counseling books today that are telling me that if you do this thing or that thing in the area of your Christian life, you're beyond hope. And that's common. That's common today in many, in many counseling books, biblical counseling books. And I'm telling you from this passage, no one is beyond impossibility. I mean, it's possible for anyone to come to Christ. And we must embrace that truth and just look to the Gentiles as an example. Uh, don't write off anyone. Don't write off a spouse. Don't write off a brother or a sister. Don't write off your neighbor or the person you work with or, or anyone else. Don't write them off. The Jews would have written every, every Gentile off. After all, they're not looking for righteousness. They're a bunch of pagans. Not even desiring salvation. And yet, they were part of God's elect. And God brought salvation to them as a gift. So this should give all of us great hope. Uh, unconverted friends could be, could be that there is a, a prodigal son, prodigal daughter, never beyond salvation. Thus it is doctrinally true that God's elect, uh, he many Gentiles and rejected, he rejected many Jews. This means that no sinner can blame God for what comes into his pathway by eternal judgment. No one can shake his fist at God and say, I didn't repent because you didn't choose me. No, you didn't repent because you had a hard heart of unbelief. And you rejected and refused to believe in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't repent because of your hard heart. And we saw even God hardens the heart. I mean, this all comes together as we, we try and balance this in our mind. But they refuse to believe. Every one of us in this room were responsible for our sins before God. Everyone in, our, in this room are responsible for not believing or trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also clear that at the scripture, in the Scriptures, that is, if you are saved... It's not because of anything you've done. It's not even because of your faith. It's because of Christ saved you by His work on the cross. We're all dead in our sins. We've all been blinded by our sins. And yet we see in Scripture, Ephesians 2.1, that because of your ignorance and hardness of heart, you're lost. Ephesians 4.18, but God being rich in mercy... Because of his great love, which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our tra- transgressions, he made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace have you been saved. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. You know, hopefully you, if you're here without Christ, and I, I believe in any room of any size, including our, our little congregation here today, there are those who have come through those doors today who have yet to trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord. I mean, if we're all saved, praise the Lord, we're all going to be with each other in heaven. But I, I believe that there's always wheats and tares and there's always those who, who just visit or come with parents and, and with family, but they've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. They haven't put their faith in Him yet. You know, I would encourage all of us that when it seems... Impossible. Through God, it is possible. 
You know, the converse here is true. Uh, Sometimes those who are the most religious are those who are the farthest from God. They don't have faith. Now, this speaks to those of you who are here today who, who carry a Bible with you. This speaks to those of you who are here today who maybe are faithful in your church attendance, maybe midweek Bible study, meeting with the ladies in their Bible study. And if anyone looked at you, they would label you as a very religious person. And I would say to you, so were the, Jew- so were the Jews. They were very religious people. But they were lost. So that tells me you can come to church, you can carry a Bible, you, can, you, can, you know the lingo, and you can hang out and, and go to fellowship groups and all these things and never have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be eternally lost. And so I just simply ask you, could that be you today? Could this be a young person that's here who, who's with mommy and dad and you've been here for week after week, perhaps year after year, and, and, and you kind of fit in and you're, you're part of the group and, 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 and this is your church because it's your parents' church, but you've never come to faith in Christ. You've never put your faith and trust in Him. You've never bowed to Him as your Lord, your Savior, and your King. Could this be that your church attendance and activity are blinding you from the simplicity of your need? Simply believe in Christ. My prayer is that God would open up your eyes. Young person, person here without faith in Christ, God would open your eyes and you would see in your heart there is no trust in Christ, no faith that brings salvation. I've seen this happen time and time again. I know when, when uh, I was attending seminary, did masters have some wives or not? Did they, they have a group called some wives? Yeah. So you have some wives, and so the, the wives get together, and they have fellowship together, and the husbands are going through seminary. And I remember they met, I don't know, once a month, once a week, but Mary w- went to one of the meetings. And there was a dear lady there whose first husband, she was a pastor's wife, her first husband, and she was a young lady. She, she was probably, I say young, you know, she was probably in her middle, late 30s, somewhere in there. But her first husband already died. And he was a pastor. And then she married another man. Now, he, now he's going through seminary, the second husband. And uh, she came one time with tears in her eyes. And she says, you know, I've been a pastor's wife. I'm about to become another pastor's wife. I was raised in the church. And I realize I don't have faith in Christ. She confessed that to the ladies. She trusted in Jesus. I mean, do you see how you can even be to the point where you're raised in the church, you marry a pastor, and now you're serving in the church, and you're a pastor's wife, and now he's passed, and now you've got another man that's pursuing the ministry, and never have come to faith yourself? This, is, this could be true of any one of us. May God open our eyes and trust, to trust in the rock, not stumble over him, not to fall to our own demise. Must come to the end of ourselves to do that. As long as you're self-righteous, you'll never trust in Christ. You can be very religious, never trust in Christ. You, You can be lost, and the Holy Spirit brings the new birth and brings life, 
And he brings faith. By the way, that's why my heart is on, on when I have opportunity to preach is to try and always preach the gospel. Because among the religious people, the, the outwardly moral people, are oftentimes the ones who, who need to turn and trust in Christ alone as their Savior. You know, last of all, and quickly, uh, for those of us who have been converted by, by God, we've just been blessed by His grace in our life, we're trusting in His Son. If that's true of you, how can you remain mute? How can you remain mute realizing that if the Gentiles were being saved, we've got Gentiles all around us. We've got a whole community here in Cody of Gentiles. We've got a whole nation of Gentiles. There's a whole world of Gentiles out there. And yes, there's Jews too. And that's why we're coming to chapter 10 next time. We're going to be see how are they going to hear unless there's what? A preacher. And how are they going to hear unless we take that gospel on ourselves and proclaim the good news to those who are without Christ? Uh, and, and lastly, I, when you ponder all that God has done, how can we not, as we gather around this table in just a minute, birth, just bring for, burst forth in joyful praise and thanksgiving? have a passion to proclaim that gospel. Father in heaven, we close with prayers asking you, Lord, to take your word, Lord, this last, these last closing words of Romans 9. Father, we're grateful that those of us who weren't even seeking after righteousness, who didn't even know you as God, that in your kindness, you came to us and brought faith that we're now children of God by, by your grace. Oh, Lord, we have eternity to worship, and thank you for that. Lord, if there's anyone here today more like the Jews who are very religious, doing everything they can to please you, oh, convict them and help them see that they're falling short. There's no amount of law-keeping that can bring righteousness. The more we try, the more we fail, the more we fail, the more we condemn, and finally we end in eternal destruction. Oh, open eyes to see that that's a pathway of destruction. And may you take those who are religious without faith and bring them, Lord, into your kingdom savingly as the trust in your, in your Son. And Lord, give us a passion of worship, a passion of joy, a passion of delight in all that Christ has done on our behalf, and a passion to take that news out to those who are still in darkness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.